0: I hope you have your Bibles with you, and I pray over the next few minutes, we will be able to find Jesus in those Bibles, in the pages of the Old Testament, in the story of Ruth. We've made our way to chapter three. We're going slowly, one chapter a week. There's only four chapters, so next week we finish. And it's been a good story already, but man, it's fixing to get a little interesting today. (laughs) I've titled this message, Searching for Rest, and the reason for that should be clear as we make our way through chapter three today. I'm not talking about rest, the kind you need when you're sleepy. You know, like Friday night I slept in a hotel bed, so I didn't really sleep, so Saturday every time it got a little bit quiet, I kind of found myself dozing off, you know, um, not talking about that kind of rest. It's way more than that. On Thursday, I got to perform a wedding. They call that officiating a wedding, which I always found um, kind of strange. I feel like I'm officiating, you know. Um, but that's what they call it. And in the middle of the ceremony there, which, of course, I stole from my dad, um, when your dad preaches all the time, you just use his sermons. That's not what I did today. Just. My mom and dad are here, by the way. That's why I'm wearing my jacket. But in the, in the middle of that wedding ceremony, when I'm describing the attraction that brings that couple together, this is one thing that it says. It says, when in a man a woman finds the rest and satisfaction, her heart has been unconsciously seeking it's a revelation from above and makes all things new. Isn't that pretty? My dad's a good writer. When in a man, a woman finds the rest and satisfaction her heart has been seeking. That's kind of the rest we're talking about today. It's, it's, a, it's much deeper than just being tired and needing some rest. So let's pray quickly. Um, ask God the Father for his help this morning. Father, teach us what we don't know. Help us to hear your truth clearly today. I pray that each word spoken would be just that, your truth. It is life-changing. Make it obvious to us today, Lord. We love you. Amen. So, to this point in our story, if I can recap quickly. This family, Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, left Bethlehem, the promised land, even though they shouldn't have But there was a famine, and they thought they could find food elsewhere. They went to a place called Moab, not a good place, but they ended up living there. The father died, the sons died, and the lady was left by herself with her two daughters-in-laws. Bad place to be, um, because they had no men to take care of them. And at that time in the world, that was not a good thing for a woman to be by herself, okay? So God visits the promised land, brings food, the famine ends. Naomi hears about it and says, I think I'll go home now. Uh, somewhere along the way she says you know it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to bring my daughters-in-law's with me she tries to send them off one of them says yeah that's a good idea i'm going home the other one ruth clings to her and goes back with her remember she makes this commitment your people are my people your god's my god where you die i'm dying so they show it back home Good thing that Ruth came with her because they get home and Naomi's depressed or something, doesn't feel like doing anything. Ruth is the one that gets up early in the morning, goes to work every day to find the food. So, you know, uh, this guy Boaz, who happens to be a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband, Ruth happens upon her his field. He treats her ultra nice, lets her get all the food she needs to take back to Naomi, and everything seems to be going good. But we ended last week's chapter with this. And Ruth still lived with her mother-in-law. So even though they had the need of food met, the need for Ruth to have her own husband and family, that was a need that was still hanging over us. So here we get today, chapter 3. Read with me in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, this is interesting. Remember in chapter 2, it's Ruth that kind of initiated it. She woke up and said, hey, I'm going to go to work. Chapter 3, Naomi's the one that has a plan. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? To this point in our story, at least, since her husband and sons died, Naomi's been concerned with three people, me, myself, and I. But over the course of these chapters, you know, she's experienced God's Hesed love, his his covenant faithful love, Boaz providing food for her, Ruth committing in love to be her daughter-in-law, even though uh, Ruth's uh, husband had died, and, and through all of this, Naomi's heart had softened a little bit. And She was no longer maybe in this attitude of, of depression, but rather becoming out of that a little bit. If you've ever been depressed, you know it kind of takes you a time to get through that. Remember in chapter one when she arrived back in Bethlehem, she said, Call me bitter. God's been tough on me. Call me bitter. Ian Duguid says that bitterness drives us inward into self-absorbed depression. But true repentance enables us and motivates us to start to serve other people's needs. So maybe that's where Naomi was finding herself, a little bit motivated. She's got some food in her belly. She's got a daughter-in-law who clearly loves her, and now she's wanting to maybe turn that inward bitterness around and begin to serve, and she's looking out for Ruth and wants to help Ruth find a rest in her husband. Now, she had originally blessed Ruth with this hope. Do you remember that? In chapter 1, verse 9, listen to what it says. When she was trying to get Ruth and Orpah to leave and go back to their uh, country in Moab, she said, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. She kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. So she's feeling parental toward Ruth now. Maybe she feels like she owes Ruth. Maybe she feels like, All right, so Ruth has been around for a while now. She gets up every day, goes to work, and brings us food. Maybe she feels like she owes her. And she wants to help secure a permanent home for her. Ruth needed a husband and a home of her own. But who would marry this outsider? Remember, she was from Moab. Now, I want you to know, Moabite women didn't have a real good reputation with the people of the Lord. Okay? The very origins of of the country of Moab. It started with with this act of incest between Lot and his daughter, if you remember that. In Numbers 25, the Moabite women, they led the Israelite men into sexual immorality and idolatry, okay? To marry a Moabite woman would mean pretty much, uh, it would be socially awkward, to say the least, okay? And maybe way worse. So who would be willing to take such a risk Look at verse 2. Naomi begins to lay out her plan. Is not Boaz our relative, close relative this time here, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So she says, Boaz is our close relative. And Naomi's thinking, you know, he's been kind to us so far. He let you, you know, go into the fields. He told his men to leave you alone, to protect you. He's, he's given us plenty of food to eat. You know, but I was kind of thinking that by now he would at least ask you to dinner in a movie, you know, Ruth. (laughs) You know, Naomi's saying, Ruth, you know, you're not really, you know, presenting yourself in a way that's making him interested, obviously. (laughs) Whatever is going on. And so Naomi Naomi said, I'm going to help you, Ruth. I'm going to help you take things into your own hands. And so she continues her plan. Look at verse 3. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking but when he lies down observe the place where he lies then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do are are you uncomfortable Are you uncomfortable with Naomi's plan? If if you are not paying attention, let me just recap her plan. (laughs) She said, get clean, uh, get dressed up, spray the good perfume, wait until it's dark and no one's around, go lie down with him, uncover his feet, and let's just see what he tells you to do next. I mean, I just said that Naomi was feeling parental and wanting to help her. Trust me, Brooke and I are not giving this advice to Ainsley. <laughs> I don't care who the guy is. <laughs> I mean, you already know what kind of men were living in this place. Remember, Boaz had a warner, said, hey, make sure you don't go to some other field because some other guy might hurt you or molest you. Stay in my field and I'll make sure they take good care of you. Okay, not to mention Ruth probably had a reputation as a Moabite woman. This is not, um, at least in my opinion, it didn't seem like a real godly plan. But here we go. Ruth agrees to follow Naomi's plan to the letter. She gets all dolled up and heads down to the threshing floor. Let's, let's jump to verse 7. And just like Naomi's plan. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled. He shivered. He was cold. You know, his feet were Someone had stolen the covers. It sounds kind of like sleeping with Brooke. And and so he turned over. You try to grab his cover, you know, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. So, Ruth has put herself in a very risky situation, wouldn't you say? She's placed herself directly in harm's way, all for the sake of Naomi and her plan. I mean, what's going to happen next? You know, Boaz could have taken advantage of her. Boaz, because we already know he's a, he's a worthy man, a man of character, he might have said, hey, you know, get out of here. You know, what are you doing? Not, that's not what I'm about. And he could have spread word all over town. Look what Ruth the Moabite tried to get me to do and kicked her out of town. You know, who knows? I mean, this is a very uh, questionable situation. And so now we're expecting, like Naomi's plan had laid out, that Boaz will give Ruth instructions of what to do next. Let's see what happens. Can you feel the tension? All right. Verse 9, he said, who are you? That's different than the question he asked when he first met Ruth. Remember, he asked his servant, whose is she? This time he says, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. And she just jumps right into her plan. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth throws a curveball. She doesn't just sit around and wait for Boaz to give instructions here. She immediately um, lets him know what her plan is, okay? Instead of leaving the situation dangerously unclear about what she was doing at his feet, smelling good, looking good, and all that stuff, she wanted to make her intentions clear up front. She was seeking commitment to marriage, not a single night of passion. This is a, an interesting Term here, it says, I'm Ruth your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. This could also say, Spread your garment over your servant. The only other place I could find this in the Old Testament was in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8, this is God the Father speaking. He says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. This is God the Father talking about his covenant commitment to the people of Israel. So, so this was a at least somewhat common term. This is kind of like, let's get engaged. Put your corner of your garment over me, okay? It's cheaper than buying a diamond ring. <laughs> um, at some point, a lady decided that it would be better for, to give a diamond ring instead of just saying, hey, here, you want to marry me? <laughs> um, so so that's what's going on there. And, and it would be clear um, in a minute by Boaz's response that he understood what she was saying, okay? She, so this was at least somewhat common. Um, Ruth, Ruth was seeking something pretty serious. Uh, when you talk about marriage, covenant marriage, and you start to use the language that God the Father was using in his relationship with the people of Israel, this is serious serious commitment. Are you with me? All right, so verse 10. Let's see what Boaz says. She says, I'm your servant. Spread your wings over me. And he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Uh, She's not his daughter. That's just a term of endearment, okay? You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Man, think, this is going good now. I'm, I'm not as nervous as I was earlier before we found out how this was going to unfold. He says that this last kindness is greater than the first. What was, What's he talking about? The first kindness was Ruth. Remember when, when Boaz first met Ruth in the fields, he said, oh, I know who you are. I've heard all about you. You left your people to show commitment and love to your mother-in-law, even though you had really no obligation to do that. And you came back to a foreign land, and you've been working here in the field to take care of her. So Ruth, that was her first kindness. She left her home, committed to Naomi, and then got up every day, worked her tail off to provide food. For Naomi and Ruth, okay? That's, that was Ruth's first kindness. And the second kindness, what's he talking about? He said, this one's even better. It's that she was seeking Boaz's hand in marriage instead of someone young or someone rich. Why is that? Because if Ruth would have sought out some young guy or some rich guy, which, by the way, she had, you know, every right to do, um, she, she would have been looking out for only herself. Okay, no one could blame her. She's already moved to a foreign land. She's already working, you know, all day long just to provide food. What's it to anybody else if she seeks out somebody that seems to fit her? You know, someone she's attracted to, someone that has lots of money, or someone who's just really young, her age, and they have a lot in common, you know? But no. She seeks out Boaz. And by doing that, she was looking out for Naomi again. Because Boaz was what? A close relative. He could be a redeemer. A marriage to him would not only provide security and a husband to Ruth, but it would provide land and a possible heir to Naomi to continue that family line. So that's why Boaz tells Ruth, I will do all that you ask. It was clear that Ruth was not only seeking a husband for herself, she was seeking a redeemer for Naomi. All these things she's doing, she's doing this for Naomi because of hesed love. And he, he says, you know what? All that you say, I will do. Boaz, although not under legal obligation, okay? This isn't the, the same Leviticus 25. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. The, the kinsman redeemer, that was about the, the dead man's brother marrying the wife, the widow, okay? He's not that because if he were, Ruth could have just walked up to him in the town and said, hey, Boaz, fulfill your duty and marry me. But instead, they come up with this, you know, crazy plan and, and go through all of this, um, but that would have been unnecessary if he was under legal obligation. But he was willing to take the risk that marrying Ruth entailed. He was willing to pay the social and even the financial cost of marrying a foreign woman, a Moabitess. Pretty good guy. Turns out Ruth and Boaz were actually a great match. What, is, what does Boaz say? All the people in town, all the pound people at the gate, they know you're a worthy woman. So Ruth may have been worried about what people in town were thinking about her because she was a Moabite woman and the reputation of Moabite women was not a good one. But apparently all the people in town, they thought a whole lot of Ruth. He said, they know you are a worthy woman. That's the same word used of Boaz Back in chapter 2, by our narrator. Remember, now chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Ruth was a woman of worth, just like the woman described in Proverbs 31. Check this out. Did you know this? In the Hebrew Bible, the original Hebrew Bible, the book of Proverbs comes right before the book of Ruth. I learned that this week. Did you know that? So Proverbs 31, the last thing in Proverbs, describes this incredible woman that you ought to be looking for, and then you turn the page, and it's the story of Ruth. Look at Proverbs 31. You can turn there real quick. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible. Let's look at some of the things it says about the woman who fears the Lord, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. Look at verse 15. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. Sounds like it's talking about Ruth, doesn't it? Yeah. Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. We already know she's strong. Remember all that wheat she carried home after the first morning? I mean, she probably does CrossFit or something on Saturdays She opens her hand to the poor, verse 20, and reaches out her hands to the needy. Hmm. Look at all the things she does to work to provide. Verse 26 says she opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Verse 27 says she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Ruth was not idle and lazy, was she? So in the Hebrew Bible, we're reading these verses, and then you turn the page, and it's a story of Ruth. That's incredible. What a connection. Boaz, worthy. Ruth, worthy. Boaz says, Ruth, you're that kind of woman. You're that Proverbs kind of woman. And so here we are. Ruth has laid it on the line. Boaz has agreed. And, and we, the readers, we can, like, almost hear the wedding bells ringing. But There's a problem. Just like any good story, there's got to be an issue that has to be fixed first. At least a hurdle that needs to be crossed. Look at verse 12. Boaz says, and now it is true. I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning so there's a closer relative. This this other guy who basically had first dibs, okay? Now, I don't know why up to this point he hasn't spoken up. Remember, we've already gone through all, our, all of barley harvest. It's not like Ruth's only been there a week. Maybe this guy was thinking in his mind, man, I hope no one figures out that I might have to marry Ruth the Moabite. And maybe he's keeping quiet. Maybe, maybe he doesn't even realize it. Maybe... Boaz, you know, I mean, Naomi had forgotten that Boaz was in her family line, right? She thought she was empty. Maybe this guy didn't realize all the rules and laws and didn't even see what, whatever reason. Um, he had not spoken up yet. But Boaz is a man of character, and he knows that a conversation at least has to be had with this other guy, this closer redeemer, before he could marry Ruth. If he went out of order, this guy could then come back and... You know, say, hey, Boaz, you went out of order, man. You're going to have to pay me back with some cows or something, wheat. And so Boaz is a man of character. He's going to do things in order. Look at verse 14. So he says, hey, stay here the night. Nothing weird is going on there. He's trying to protect her, I believe. Verse 14, so she lay at his feet. She stayed down there until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. You see, he was worried that if she walked away and people noticed her leaving, people would say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why was the Moabite woman at the threshing floor last night? Or if it came later on where they realized she was with Boaz that night and then they got married, someone might say, I don't know, hey, they made this plan to skip over the closer redeemer so that she could marry Boaz, and who, who knows? But he said, you know, stay, and then, and then under the cover of darkness in the morning, you leave. And, and he continues, verse 15, he says, bring that garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her, okay? I mean, she was strong. That, that's like 80 to 90 pounds, okay? Just, just to test it, I made Ainsley carry Braxton on her back around the house, And she said, that's easy. I said, well, yeah, but she carried this all the way back home. You just walked him around the living room. Um, And Ainsley's pretty strong, too, you know. She's not like a little bitty, uh, tiny, like, girl. She's a dancer, strong. And so 90 pounds, heavy. He told her all that. Okay, so this is interesting. Six measures of barley he gave to her. For he said to me, okay, the, the number seven, if you read in the Bible, it means completeness, full, okay? He said he gives six. You say, well, why didn't he give seven? Well, I don't know. Maybe because she couldn't carry the weight of seven measures. Maybe it was because it was a symbol to say, hey, this isn't done yet, but I'm going to give you some seed to let you know what's coming in the future. I don't know. I don't know, just thinking out loud. Okay, so Ruth packed down with 90 pounds of, of barley in the, in the night, early morning, and she walks back home to Naomi. Let's look and see what finally happens when she, she gives the update. Verse 16, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, well, how did you fare, my daughter? How'd it go? <laughs> you know, did you, did you stick to my plan?" How did he react? She's, you can imagine Naomi, like the night before, was probably up all night. You know, maybe she prayed. Maybe she was walking back and forth in the room wondering, you know, how's it going? Was it a good plan? Was it a bad plan? You know, all these things. So she wants to know, how, how did you fare? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, and now we learn something about why he did that, okay? We didn't, he didn't say earlier, the narrator didn't tell us why Boaz gave her the, the barley, but now we learn. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So we get back as we finish chapter 3 here, and we come back to this same theme that we had talked about early on this theme of empty versus full. Do you remember when when Elimelech and Naomi left Bethlehem? She said, I left full. Even though Bethlehem was empty, she thought she was full because she had a family. But she said, when I returned, I returned empty. Which we said, well, that's very ironic because you left here full when Bethlehem was empty, but you're coming back empty when Bethlehem's full of food again. And so there was this constant theme going through. And here, Boaz says, don't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. You see, Naomi had been empty from the famine, but Boaz provided wheat for them. Naomi had been empty from childlessness, but I think now Boaz is saying, I will provide a seed. You know, we're going to fix both problems of emptiness so that you can be full. People that trust in the Lord come to him empty, nothing to offer for our own salvation, and yet he provides every single need that we have, doesn't he? Every single one. Ruth and Boaz. Great story. Both examples for us in how to show Hesed love toward others. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm challenged by how much Boaz shows love to Ruth and Naomi. I'm really challenged by how much love Ruth has shown to Naomi. Who are the people around us that we're not willing to show that type of love to for whatever reason? Maybe they're strange, like a foreigner like Ruth was. Maybe they don't meet up to our standards of living, whatever it is. Maybe we just don't like them because they're annoying. Like I think Naomi thought Ruth was annoying when she was trying to get her to go back home. But yeah, all of this hesitant love being shown. Ruth and Boaz also pointers to Jesus, aren't they? Do you see that? In the the pages here of the Old Testament, do you see that they are pointers to Jesus, our answer when we are searching for rest? See, Jesus did the same thing. Like, Like Ruth, he put himself in harm's way on the cross for us. This crazy plan of the Father. Hey, you go down to earth. Hey, you live like a human being. Hey, you let the humans that we created kill you and shed your blood on the cross so that that blood will then pay for them. Like Boaz, he took the risk of committing himself to a foreigner like me, like you, so that he could purchase our freedom and our security that we could never have afforded on our own. That's what Jesus does for us, and his invitation is for everyone. You see, if you're looking for security, find it in Jesus, the strong tower. Quit looking for it. ...in things of this world. Quit looking for it in finances. Quit looking for it in in popularity or in success. If you're looking for satisfaction, find it in Jesus, the true bread of life. Quit looking for it in material things. If you're looking for peace, find it in Jesus, the prince of peace. None of the things of this world will offer the peace and rest that comes from knowing Jesus... The Bible teaches us that his peace and rest is something that we can't even understand. Passes all of our understanding because it's divine. We aren't divine. We're creation. Created by the only divine being. So his peace that comes to us is something we've never experienced. Jesus' invitation is for everyone. What did he say? He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Amen. Can we pray? Father, as we are making our way through this unbelievable story that keeps pointing us back to you, we are reminded again of the price you paid for our salvation, the risk you were willing to take in order to commit covenant love to us foreigners, rebellious against you. We are reminded that you give rest like none other, that we will never find the rest our hearts are seeking for while we're here on this earth unless we find it in you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us here alone on this earth to try to figure things out on our own, but you've given us direction. I pray that we would use it as our anchor and that we would build our life on your word, that we would learn how to live based on its pages, Father, today I pray for those who are hurting and seeking rest. Father, if they would just turn their gaze and fix their eyes on Jesus, I know that they will be satisfied. We thank you for the cross, especially for grace and for mercy. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.